Let's look at Nehemiah chapter 4. We'll do announcements at the end of this, Aline. I feel like we need to flow right into the word right here. Nehemiah chapter 4. I want to read this entire chapter this morning. And then I, I, I want to share what I believe God is, is up to. It so happens when Sambalat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and very indignant. And he mocked the Jews and he spoke before his brethren, the army of Samaria. And he said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish? Stones that are burned. Now Tobiah, the Ammonite, was beside him, and he said, whatever they build, if even a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Hear, O God, for we are displeased. Turn their reproach on their own heads. Give them as plunder to, to a land of, capacity, of, of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity. Do not let their sin be blotted out from before you. For they have provoked you to anger before the builders. So we built the wall, and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height. Check this out. For the people had a mind to work. God, give us a mind to work. That happened when Sanballat and Tobiah, the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites, heard that the wall of, of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were being closed. They became very angry. And all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God. And because of them, we... We set a watch against them day and night. And Judah said, the strength of the laborers is falling, falling, and there is so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. You ever feel like that in life? So much rubbish you're not able to build? Our adversaries said, they will neither know nor see anything till we come into, the midst, into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. So it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came that they told us ten times, whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. Therefore I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at, the, at their openings. And I set people according to their families. I think there's an important picture. We talked a little bit about that last week. There's an important picture in that simple little statement, according to their families with their swords and their spears and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the, to the leaders, to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, your houses. And it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had brought their plot to nothing, that all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his work. And so it was from that time on 
that half of my servants worked at construction while the other half held their spears, the shields, the bows, and wore armor. And the leaders were behind all of the house of Judah, those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction and with the other held a weapon. Every one of the builders had his sword girded to, to, at his side as he built. And the one, was, the, the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles, to the rulers, the rest of the people, the work is great and extensive and we are separated far from one another on the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet rally to us there, our God will fight for us. And so we labored in the work. Half of the men held the spears from daybreak until the stars appeared. And at the same time, I, I also said to the people, guard by night and working uh, party and a working party by day. So neither I, my brethren, my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me took off their clothes, except that every one of them, uh, that everyone took them off for washing. What a story. What a, what a situation. What a picture. Imagine these guys working. Imagine these guys, builders and warriors. I mean, they're, they're, they're strapped with weapons. They're girded with, with their, their battle gear. A sword in one hand, a trowel in the other. What a picture, what a powerful, powerful picture. Nehemiah is the perfect picture of what life in God's kingdom is all about. You build with one hand, and then you learn how to battle with the other. If you're going to build anything in God's kingdom, you will have to learn to have a tenacity and battle in faith. That's a reality. And the battle mo most often is because you are building. Right? It's because you are building. These people set themselves to build. God is calling his people to build. God wants to revive a building spirit in us. Talk about the Celebrity Entertainment Center. That's what the church has been. Come and let us entertain you. Ray, Raven Hill said the church that, that, that they have substituted entertainment for joy because there's no joy in the church. Raven Hill died a long, long time ago, but that statement is still true today. The joy, and we see this in Nehemiah, the joy of the Lord that is our strength. Amen. But we, we desire to be entertained. We, we show up at churches looking, who has the best worship? Who's the best preacher? These are shallow things. We shouldn't be looking for churches that, that make us feel good, that, that, that entertain us, that you know, make us you know, comfortable. You know what I want to, when I go to church, this is the honest truth. When I go to church, I want to be made uncomfortable. I want something to be stirred in me. I want something that will provoke me not to go out and live the ordinary humdrum life, not to be satisfied to come to church on Sunday morning and be entertained and have a Sunday morning religion, but to compel me to go out and live this thing 24-7 for Jesus. Yeah. 
to go out and fight the good fight of faith, to go out and really be a Christian, to have a a seven-day-a-week Christian experience, not a Sunday morning Christian experience. We have a consumer mentality. We want to be entertained. We want it to be short and concise on our terms and our time limits. God wants to shake something in us. God wants to stir something in us and cause us, I've said this over and over again, not to be a a people that need to be, an audience that needs to be entertained, but an army that is ready to go out and march. And And a crew of builders, a crew of builders at that. God wants us to learn how to build. Build in his kingdom. I'm not talking about physical building. I love building. I enjoy it. Used to be my profession. Now it's my hobby. We're remodeling our home. You'll hear more about that in a minute. But I I love to build. It's fun. But I'm not talking about physically building. I'm talking about building in the sense of a spiritual building. A spiritual house. Amen? Amen? Jesus said he's building his church. Oikotome Ecclesia. We looked at that last week. He's building as a family a governing body in the earth. That's what Jesus was saying. He's building his household. He's building a spiritual family. That's why I said it was interesting to to see that, that Nehemiah instructed the people to work as families. Family is important. Two things. We talked about this. Two things that God's instituted. The family and the church. Those are the two things that God's building on planet earth. And those are the two things that the enemy is is violently and vehemently attacking. We're going to get to that in just a minute. We are to be builders in God's kingdom. God's called us to this. I want to read just a couple of scriptures about God's people. God's people. Look at what Isaiah said in Isaiah 58. He says, those from among you shall build the old waste places and shall raise up foundations of many generations And you shall be called a repairer of the breach, the restorer of the street to dwell in. Again, this is not talking about a physical building. This is about building a spiritual house. Building a legacy. Building the kingdom. Amen? That's what it's about. Many things in the church, many things in this earth that are called the church are in ruins. God wants us, I believe, to rise up and fulfill this scripture, to build the old places, to raise up the foundations of many generations, to repair the breach, to restore the street. God wants us to do that. We'll break that down, not not today, but we're going to break that down and look at that in a soon coming message. Let's move on. Verse uh, 14, or verse 4, I'm sorry, of Isaiah 61, it says, They shall rebuild the old, old ruins. Now they shall raise up the former desolations. They shall repair the ruined cities. The desolations of many generations. Again, God talking about his people. This is actually the the passage that Jesus read when he started his ministry. You remember the the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. He has anointed me to preach good tidings to the meek, to declare the opening of the door to those who are in prison, the breaking of the chains to those who are bound, to appoint beauty for ashes, healing, right? You know that? Well, this is part of that passage. There's anointing upon us to preach. There's an anointing to declare deliverance. There's an, an anointing to break chains. There's an anointing to appoint beauty for ashes. And there's an anointing to build and to restore God wants to anoint his people to be builders, to build his kingdom. And remember, he's building it. We're just the under carpenters. He's the general contractor. We're the subcontractors. We 
got to build to his plan, not our plan. We've got to build to his design, not the way that we fancy it, but the way that God intended for it to be. So we need to be builders. And I believe we're seeing it. I believe that out of the, the rubbish and out of the, 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 the heaps of ruins, and, and by the way, I think it's interesting, they, they rebuilt those city walls out of burnt stones. How many of you have ever felt like a burnt stone? Used and abused. Spit out, burnt out. How many of you have ever felt that way? Well, good. Because God wants to use you to rebuild the walls. God uses burnt stones. We've been hurt, we've been rejected, we've been abused. Guess what? God wants to pick you up and dust you off and set you back on the wall. God wants to use you to rebuild. Amen? But out of all these ruins, I believe that God is raising up a mighty, mighty army. You know what we need to do? We need to get our, our focus on some different things. I hear it all the time. What are we going to do about our country? What are we going to do about our economy? Can you believe so-and-so got elected? Can you believe so-and-so didn't get elected? Can you believe this is happening? Can you believe they're advancing this legislation? I hear all of that kind of garbage all week long. Wouldn't it be good when people start coming around and saying, man, did you see what's going on over there in Florida? Man, did you see on Facebook that revival that's breaking out? And it's happening. That's the thing. It, it is actually happening. We just got our eyes on the wrong thing. God is raising up a mighty army. God is doing a work. We need to see that. God is doing it. And you know what? We need to rise up to be a part of it. But you know what? As sure as you rise up to be a part of it, it's going to make somebody mad. They're rebuilding the city walls. They're having success. The people have a mind to work. Sanballat and Tobiah and all these other armies are getting upset because the city's being restored. When you set out to build something for God, not everybody's going to be happy about it. You will meet opposition. People will come against you whenever you set out to do the work of God. Period. Always. That's why we got to put on our armor. That's why we got to be warriors. We have an enemy. We have an enemy. And it's not, it's not the politicians. They might be used to oppose us, but they're not our enemies. Our enemies are not other religious folks. Our enemies are not the anti-religious folks. We got to realize our enemies are not people. We have an adversary. The devil, all of his demons, they hate the plan of God. They hate the purpose of God. They hate his church, his people. They, they hate the move of God. They hate everything about God. And they, they show up to oppose everything that God is doing. In many ways, the enemy has us on defense. And I, I want to suggest by the end of this message that things should not be that way. We need to put the enemy on defense. It's time for us to be on the offense. 
But not everybody's going to be happy when you set the bill. People are going to rise up. People are going to criticize. People are going to attack. People are going to begin to talk. You're going to begin to hear the accusations and, and the plans and the plots of the enemy. They're going to happen. As soon as you rise up to do the work of God, there will be opposition. Period. If you're not being opposed, you may want to check out what you're doing. The enemy doesn't oppose things that aren't fruitful. When we start to be fruitful in God's kingdom, that's when he shows up. We've, we've got to learn to fight. And you know, we've got a lot to fight for. Nehemiah used a great motivation in this passage of scripture. He said, it's time for us to stand and fight. And he says, I want you to fight for your brethren for your sons, for your daughters, for your wives, for your families, and for your homes. Church, we've got a lot to fight for. It's for your children. It's for your brethren. It's for your grandchildren. Amen? We've got a lot to fight for, and it is time to stand and fight. We have a lot to fight for. There's a lot on the line. And so we shouldn't be without motivation. What we do in God's kingdom has significance. It has an impact. What I do in God's kingdom impacts my generations. My children are blessed. Why? Because they've got a dad that is born again, that is sanctified, that is full of God's spirit, that is doing the work that God's called them to do. My children are blessed by that. Don't get it twisted. Don't, don't ever tell me it's hard to be a pastor's kid. No, it, it's, it's tough to be a drug dealer's kid. It's tough to be a gangbanger's kid. It's a blessing to be a pastor's kid. Amen? It's a blessing to be a child of the child of God. Amen? It's a blessing when your parents are Christians. It's a blessing. Amen? And a big part of what I do is for them. I want to see my children serving God. I want to see my grandchildren. I don't have any yet and won't have for a while. But I want to see them serve God when they do come. My wife's shaking her head nervously on the front row. What we do in God's kingdom has impact on our generations, and that should be a motivation to us to contend and to build and to stand, and we do need to contend. I remind you of Jude's words. He said, I, I found it uh, necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. We have to contend for the faith. God's called us to build but we're, as builders, as those who are extending God's kingdom, we must be a people who are ready to contend. Show up to work dressed. Battle gear. Can you imagine the carpenter on the job site? I mean, his, his loins, girt with the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, the shield of faith. He's got his feet shod with the gospel the, the, the peace can you imagine a, a carpenter showing up in battle gear to work this is what is happening with nehemiah's crew this is the picture of the child of god you got a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other can you imagine carrying that trowel behind your shield can you imagine working like that how how weary would you become those of you who are, are builders, you guys know it, it's hard enough to work with both hands. 
But when you can only work with one hand because you've got a sword in the other, you think about it. How do they do this supernatural strength? The joy of the Lord strengthened them. I want to do a whole message just on the joy of the Lord and how it strengthens us. We need the joy of, of the Lord. There's, there's no other way. Building is a gruesome task. Battling is a gruesome task. They both have a way of wearing you down, grinding at you. But the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And we've got to remember that the battle is not ours. The battle belongs to the Lord. That's a principle. There's principle number one. Principle number two, the rules of spiritual warfare, warfare are at odds with the rules of natural warfare. We don't fight spiritual warfare with the same strategies of a natural military tactician. I think it's, uh, what's the guy's name? Is it Sun, Sun Chu or something like that? It's an Asian guy. He wrote a book called The Art of War. I, I read that book. It's principles of warfare, strategies, military strategies. I read that book and I thought, man, what a contradiction to the kingdom of God. I'll just give you one, one quick example. How we don't fight the way the world fights. You think of Jonathan as his armor bearer. What, what, what do we like in military battle? We like the element of surprise. That's a principle of, of, of warfare. The element of surprise, right? We want a sneak attack. We want to sneak. We want to kill about four hundred of them before they even know we're there, right? Well, look, look at what Jonathan and his armor bearer do. They they go and expose themselves to the enemy and say, "Nana, nana, boo, boo, here we are, you big fat dummies, come and get us." And they let God fight their battle. So that's just one one example. The ways of God's warfare are totally contradictory. They're at odds with the world's way of warfare. So we can't fight the way the enemy fights. We need to remember that. We don't fight the way the enemy fights. We don't fight the way the world fights. I, I want to read a, a passage of scripture, Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. This is the, the, the armor of the Lord. I want to read this passage. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. You see that right there? Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. I'm going to come back to that in just a second. Put on the whole armor of God. Put up the whole armor, not half of it. It's not enough for you to put your shoes on. Put the whole armor of God on, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle, spiritual principle right here, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Again, our enemy is not Donald, it's not Joe, it's not Nancy, it's not Ted, it's not Chuck, it's not some person that's giving you a hard time. You have a spiritual enemy. I was talking to, who was that? I was talking to somebody yesterday, they, they, I think it was one of our prayer groups. They were, they were telling me they began to pray for the salvation of those politicians. What a refreshing bit of news. Because I've, I've heard everybody, Christians, raging about all those politicians. But just to hear, simply hear somebody say, I'm praying for those people. Amen? Amen. Amen. 
That's what the Bible instructs us to do. Pray, Timothy said, for those who are in authority. Think about it. Those people are not our enemy. Those people are simply being used by a, a army of dark forces. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. It is not a person. When a person brings opposition, make a, make a conscious decision not to see them as your opposition. Make a conscious decision not to see them as your enemy. Do what Jesus tells us to do. Pray for them. Bless them who persecute you. Do good to those who despitefully use you. Overcome. Don't be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. It's a different approach. We're not fighting against people. We're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand, therefore. Having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of, the God, word of God. Praying always, with all prayer, and supplication in the Spirit. Being watchful to the end, with all perseverance and supplication, for all saints. Put on the armor of God. God is calling us to put on his armor. We probably, most of us in this room have grown up in church. We probably all have studied the armor of God. We've looked at it detail for detail. I don't want to do that this morning. But you know what I, I want to do? I want to show you what the armor of God really is. When we talk about the armor of the Lord, it is literally the armor of the Lord. You know what? Jonathan refused, or I'm sorry, David refused Saul's armor. But I believe when he stepped out, he stepped out in the armor of the Lord. That's why he was fearless. David didn't consider Goliath. David considered his God. And he stepped out in the armor of the Lord. During worship, I hadn't intended to share this with you, but during worship, this passage of Scripture just came to mind. It is the armor of the Lord in the book of Isaiah. And I want to read this passage to you. He, who, God, he saw that there was no man. Let me, let me back up a verse. This is Isaiah. It's not in your notes for the overhead, but this is uh, Isaiah 59 and, and verse 15. So, so, fruit, so truth fails, and he who departs from evil makes himself prey. The Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. There was no justice in the earth. So what did the Lord do about this? He saw that there was no man, and he wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, look at this, his own arm brought salvation for him. By his own arm and his own righteousness, it sustained him. Check this out for he put on righteousness as a breastplate. And a helmet, this is the Lord. 
a helmet of salvation on his head. And he put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad with zeal as a cloak. What's the point? When we talk about the armor of the Lord, it is literally the armor of the Lord. It's his armor. It's his armor. The, the, the words of the, the text, finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. I, I want to encourage you with this this morning. God has called us to build. God has called us to battle. And, and there is opposition. There are struggles. It is work. It is wearying. But the good news is, we don't have to stand in our own strength. We don't stand in our own armament. It is the armor of the Lord. We stand, what we have to do, it, it, it will overwhelm us, but what we have to do is we have to literally put on Jesus, step into Jesus, let him be our portion, let him fight our battles, let him be our protector and our defense, let him fight the battles and we just do what he tells us to do. You think about that. God wants us to build and God wants us to battle. And the good news is, we don't have to do it alone. Every time he sends us on mission, he says, Lo, I am with you, even to the end of the earth. The Lord is with us, church. And we, we need not remember or forget that, that. The Lord is with us. He is fighting for us. Amen? That song, God is fighting for us, pushing back the darkness. That's the, the reality. God is fighting for us. That should give us assurance. We don't have to fight the battle in our own strength. He is fighting for us. So I want to pivot here. I want to change directions here. I want to talk about revival. Nehemiah came back to Jerusalem and found wreckage and ruins. The gates were literally buried down into the ground. Every stone of the walls toppled. But out of the rubbish came revival. Church, we need to get in our hearts this word revival. We need to contend for revival. I believe that with everything that's on the inside of me. Leonard Ravenhill, he said this, he said, the only reason we don't have revival is because we are intent to live without it. That's the reality. The only reason we don't have the presence of God the only reason we don't have a walk with God, the only reason we haven't received anything that we need from God is because we are intent to live without it. He has made every provision. It's available to us. We have to access it. We have to allocate what, he, what has already been provided for us. I want to read a prophetic word that was given by David Wilkerson back in 1986, 30, almost 35 years ago. Because I, I, I think this will help us. This, first of all, this, I believe this, this prophecy was spot on. I, I, I had heard this several times, but at the beginning of last year, this, this uh, prophecy resurfaced. And I believe this prophecy is spot on to where we are today and what God is doing. 35 years ago, David Wilkerson, 1986, he uttered these words. He said, I see a plague coming on the world. The bars, churches, and government will shut down. 
The plague will hit New York City and shake it like it has never been shaken. The plague is going to force prayerless believers into radical prayer and into their Bibles, and repentance will be the cry from the man of God in the pulpit. And out of it will come a third great awakening that will sweep America and the world. Powerful. Look at what happened in New York. Just go and do some research on it. You know that in the last 12 months, somewhere between 3.5 and 4 million people have vacated New York City. It was the epicenter going back 10 months ago of this plague. This man heard these words 35 years ago, heard these words from the Lord. Where are we today? I believe we are on the precipice. We're on the cusp of the third great awakening. I believe this country is going to fall apart. I believe that. I believe the economy is about to fall apart soon. I believe that. I don't say that to scare anybody. You know what we need to keep doing? We need to keep living our lives. We need to keep praying. We need to keep uh, sowing. We need to keep giving. We need to keep reaching. We need to keep preaching. We need to keep coming to church. We need to keep doing what God's called us to do. Why? Because we are on the cusp of the greatest, I believe this, uh, Ravenhill prophesied a Pentecost that would out-Pentecost Pentecost. Ravenhill died in 1994, but I believe we're going to see that come to pass. I believe we're going to see an awakening in this world that we have never seen before. I don't know if you remember the message that I, that I, I, I preached, something about the, the, the roar of the lion. The passage out of Hosea. Says God will roar out of Zion, that the, the, the people of God will return to the house of the Lord. You remember that message? I, 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 and really, my wife is the one that pointed that scripture out to me. But I, I believe that we are about to see heartache and hurt and suffering in this world like we have never seen, and it's going to cause people to run to the house. Through that, the Lion of Judah is going to roar, and it's going to cause people to return to the house of the Lord. We are going to see an awakening. We are going to see a revival. We, but we have to turn our hearts. Church, it's time for us to repent. It's time for us to reposition and say, God, what are you calling me to be? God, what do you want of me? What are you asking? We've asked of God long enough. It's time to ask him, Lord, what do you want of me? Where do I need to be? What do I need to be doing? How do I need to position myself? And I believe it falls on this, that God wants us to build and God wants us to battle. There's a revival coming, and I believe that in the church it's going to be a revival, a revival to the offensive position. What do you mean by that? We have been on the defense. The enemy has backed us into a corner. We have allowed him to dictate the terms. We have allowed what the enemy does to predicate our response. And it's time for us to rise in the strength and the joy of the Lord, put on our armor, and begin to build again and not allow the enemy to ever back us down in a corner again. Amen? Let me tell you why, why I believe God's called us to be on the offensive. Last week we, we preached that message where Jesus, he says... I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You know why I believe that God wants us to be on the offensive, not the defensive? 
because gates are not built for offense. They're built for defense. I believe that church people have made the devil bigger than he is. Isaiah said when we see him, we are going to wonder, is this really, this little scrawny Barney Fife runt, really the one that made the nations tremble? He's got us cowering and hunkered down. It's time to come out of the foxholes, out of our hiding places. It's time to go to battle. God wants to put us on the offensive C.T. Studd, I love this quote, he was a missionary, he said, some want to live within the sound of a chapel bell. I want to run a rescue uh, shop a yard from hell. Jesus is standing with his gates, his back to the gates of hell. He's in Caesarea, Philippi. He's got his back to the gates of hell. And he asked his disciple the question, who do men say that I am? Well, some say that you're Isaiah. Others say that you're Jeremiah. Others say that you are Elijah. Yes, but who do you say that I am? And Peter says, I say that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Blessed are you, Simon, Peter, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Literally with his back to the gates of hell. He's standing at the gates of hell. That was a, a geological formation in Caesarea, Caesarea Philippi, but it was a place of witchcraft. It was a, a place of, of demonic worship. It was a place where they sacrificed their children. Closest thing to modern-day abortion. Jesus stood at the, the gates of hell and he said, these gates will not prevail against my kingdom. Literally what Jesus is saying, this is my mission. The, we, the, the, the gates of hell can't hold back the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is going to advance. He would say the kingdom suffers violence, but the violent take it by force. Jesus is advancing his mission on planet Earth. Regardless of what the news says, regardless of what we see, regardless of what your opinion about it might be, to the increase of his government, there is no end. He is building his church. He is saving those who will come to his kingdom. He is building his work on this planet and the enemy, no matter how much he rages, no matter how much he opposes, he cannot stop the work of God from prospering. It's not mission impossible. It is mission inevitable. 
It's going to come to pass. We are going to secure victory. We are going to advance. We are going to accomplish the will of God. His church is going to be built. Souls are going to be saved. Your children are going to be saved. Your children's children are going to be saved. Can I prophesy to this church? Church, your grandchildren and your children that are away from God are coming back. They're coming back. Stand in the gap for your kids and intercede. The gates of hell will not prevail in your family. Stand in the gap for your family. There's a revival coming, and it's going to start with your children and your grandchildren returning to the house of the Lord. And I believe this. I believe we literally need to set our, our mission to be this. To crash the gates of hell. It's not enough to be in the sound of the church bell anymore. Our mission is not in, this is a gathering place. This is where we come and we get strength and this is the war room. Churchill had his war room. It was, a, it was a place for strategy. It was a place for planning. That's what this room is. Now we've got to go out there and we've got to charge the gates of hell. You got to go to work and take the gospel. You got to take the Jesus to your neighborhood. You got to go into the clubhouse and, in, and into the, the, the basketball tournaments and sit on the bleachers and share the gospel of Jesus with people and push back the kingdom of darkness. Politicians can't stop us, superintendents can't stop us, the police can't stop us. Sorry, Officer Hall. No offense. But nobody can stop us. Nothing can stop us. We've got to set our mission at the gates of hell. Can I encourage you to show up and minister at, at, at Portland on Thursday nights? Can I encourage you to become a part of that team? That's a revival right there. We need a revival. You know what the kind of revival I, I want? I want to see 40 people step up and serve in Portland. Either preparing food or going out to the streets. Amen. You know what Ted and Pastor Bill are doing every Thursday night? They're charging the gates of hell. They're standing with their backs at the gate of hell and saying, who do you say that Jesus is? I say that he's the son of God. I say that he's the king of kings. That's the kind of revival that we need. I want to encourage you, church, to rise up. Rise up. Engage. Be a part of the mission. I was meeting with some young guys this week. We're making plans to go to the streets. To reach people. We need revival in the church. And it's not just a revival that tickles our, our spirit, makes us feel good, and get a little touch of Jesus. Listen, we need something that'll touch our spirit. We need a touch of Jesus. We need to sense his presence. But we need something greater than that. We need something that will change us and fortify us and forge us and send us out as a, a mighty, mighty army. That's what God wants to do. Can we stand? I want a worship team to come. That's the kind of thing I believe that God wants us to do. God wants us to be warriors and builders. Amen? I want you to pray this week. And here's the prayer I want you to pray. Lord, what's my assignment? Where do you want me to build? I want to say what Nehemiah says. Take your family and build your portion of the fence. Take your family and build your portion of the wall. We're builders. We're warriors. What's your assignment?
What's your assignment? Amen. Here's what I want to do. I want to close that in worship tonight, this morning. We've got all kinds of things going on with coronavirus, and we're in a different world these days. You know what I want you to do? I want you to build an altar. Build an altar right where you're at. And I want you to worship God. Amen? I want you to worship God. Call out to the Lord. Father, we worship you this morning. We honor you this morning. You are good. We magnify you. You are great and greatly to be praised. Father, we acknowledge you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You sit high and you look low. You are on your throne and you're in control. Father, I thank you that your kingdom is advancing in this earth. Father, help us, Lord, to have a, a, a mindset that is victorious and not defeated. Lord, that we would not be overwhelmed by what we see, by situations and circumstances. That when the enemy would rage against us, Father, we would remember, Lord, that your, your roar is greater, Lord God. The roar of the lion the tribe of Judah who has defeated Satan. You have defeated death, hell, and the grave. You have defeated every enemy that we have, Father. There is no one who can oppose us, Lord, because you have rendered a great victory. And we thank you for that. So right now, Lord God, we set our hearts, we set our minds, and we exalt you, O oh God. We magnify you as King and as Lord. Be exalted in our praise. In Jesus' name. You give light. You love. You bring light to the darkness. You give hope. You restore.
I think that are about to happen. This is what I get when I pray. Number one, prodigals are coming home. Talked about that just a minute ago. Prodigals are coming home. Number two, the church is going to be bigger than it has ever been. This church is going to swell to overflow. We're going to see that across the nation and around the world. I'm telling you, in six months, what we're about to see, we're going to stand back and we're going to be astounded. Churches are going to be larger, at larger capacities than ever before. Third thing that's going to happen is the church is going to become a mighty army. And we are going to take the gospel to this world, to the streets, to the nations. We're going to see some awesome things happening. The greatest miracle that I've ever seen happen in my life didn't happen in the church. We're in a place called Rancho Vista. It was a neighborhood that we were doing outreach in. 95% Hispanic, about 80% Spanish-speaking only. And I was the, the wedo stuck in the middle of it. Wedo means white boy in Spanish. I was out of place. The Mexican mafia was operating there. They actually put death threats out on my life. We went in there one night for a Bible study on a Thursday night. And the people from the neighborhood didn't show up. We, we had as many as 40, 50 people coming from the neighborhood on Thursday nights to the Bible study. But for whatever reason, this night, no one showed up except for three ladies from our church. So as we were getting started, I said, you know what? I didn't come tonight to preach to the choir. Let, let's go out in the streets and see who we can minister to. So we began to walk through the neighborhood. As we're walking down the street, Miss Edith, she's a 65-year-old lady. She said, Pastor, there's Cesar. You want to go talk to him? And I said, yes, let's go. And she said, do you want to go talk to him? She didn't think I would want to go talk to him because she had told me that he was a cuandero, a Mexican witch doctor. And she didn't think I would want to go talk to him. I said, sure, let's go. So we walked over towards his property, and Miss Edith said, permiso, can we, can we come onto your property? And said, see. Sí. So we walk onto the property, and what, what transpired over the next hour, I can't even go into all the details. I'll give you the, the summation of this. I'm standing there talking to this witch doctor, and out of his home, burst through the front door. The, the, the door slings open, slams against the house, and a man jumps off that front deck, running at me at full speed. And I'm thinking, I should be really scared right now. I'm probably going to die in the next few minutes. All these thoughts are going through my head. But you know what? An incredible sense of God's peace came over me. You know that adrenaline rush you get when that stuff happens? It didn't come. The peace of God settled into me. And I stood there. And that man ran, and he came to a screeching halt right in my face. Cursing. Raging. His face was tormented. Screaming at me. You need to leave. Don't you know where you're at? Cursing me in English. You need to get out of this place. He was telling about all the curses that had been pronounced over this, all the, the spells that had been set in motion over the neighborhood. And I was in the wrong place and I needed to get out. And you know what I said? This is not me. This is the Spirit of God. I said, I know all this is going on here. And I'm not going anywhere. I'm not scared. Because greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. And for the next half hour, I preached the gospel to this young man named Mario. 
as Cesar, the witch doctor, looked on. Mario was possessed of demons. You may not believe in that type of thing. If you've seen it, you'll believe it. I didn't entertain the demons. I preached the gospel of Jesus for 30 minutes. And I continually asked Mario, do you want to be free? Do you want to be free? The more I preached and the longer I went, the angrier he got. But finally, after about 30 minutes of preaching, Mario collapsed into my arms and wept like a baby. And I put my hand on the top of his head and said, in the name of Jesus, every foul spirit, I command you to come out. You know what we did? We went to Mario's house and we got his satanic Bibles. We got his instruments of satanic worship, the, the, the daggers that they used for sacrifice, all those things, and we put them in trash bags. We walked out of the house with that, and Cesar said, where are you going with that? I said, I'm going to go throw it in the dumpster at the church, putting it into the back of my truck. He said, you can't do that. It'll, it'll. I said, you don't understand, Cesar. There's a greater power. We're not afraid of any of this. The kingdom of Jesus is far greater than the kingdom of darkness. You know where we ended up that night? We ended up in Cesar, or in Miss Edith's living room with Cesar sitting across the couch, and I preached to that man until midnight. His father was a cuandero. His grandfather was a cuandero. He himself was involved in all kinds of sexual immorality involved with that and abuse, and all kinds of witchcraft. Grew up in that. What's the point? I, I didn't say that to make you think anything great of me. That, that's nothing to do with me at all. That's what God wants us to be. There is a broken, hurting, lost world, and we are the church of Jesus Christ. It's time to charge the gates of hell. Amen? Praise God. God is about to do some amazing things. I want us to be awake to that fact. You're going to see some horrible things transpiring in our world. Don't despair. Don't get downcast. Don't quit doing what God has called you to do. Don't quit living. Don't quit sowing and giving and reaching and ministering, preaching. Keep doing what God called you to do. No matter how dark it gets, no matter what the circumstances look like, keep doing what God's called you to do. Amen? Listen, Saturday.